creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Does it ever seem like no matter what you add to your creative practice, you just cannot seem to get where you want to go? You've tried adding social media platforms and in-person events and cocktail hours and side projects and personal projects and passion projects and creative side quests. You've made it further than you were but you're still super far away from where you want to be. You keep adding more and more and more, and the only place you're getting closer to is burnout. In this episode, I want to share something that might help you out when you've added everything you can, but you're still not where you want to be, or you even feel further off from where you wanted to be than when you started. But before we get to that, a few quick words from our beloved sponsors. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. This is part four of our Human Rhythms Over Algorithms series. It is the finale, the last episode. We've been doing a four-part series all about how creativity works best when we are connecting and being led by our human rhythms and our humanity rather than bowing down to the, the, the taskmaster of the algorithm. And uh, this is part four. Really pumped about this episode. Hope you love this series. All the feedback has been really exciting and encouraging. I'm glad uh, these ideas are hitting you like they hit me because I just really need these reminders about how creativity is a human thing. It's not a, it's not a tech thing. It's not a algorithm thing. And there are practices when you will lean into that that will not just make you uh, a healthier person, but actually get better work and have a better, more thriving creative practice. So here it is, part four. It's all about subtraction. Let's do it. Chapter one, you don't need something more to go further. The first thing you need to add when you feel like you've tried everything is less. 
<laughs> let me explain what I mean by that. When you get started in your creative endeavor, whatever you're doing, you got to try a ton of things. Like you, it's just throwing spaghetti at the wall kind of thing and seeing what sticks. You got to add something that helps you practice by adding some kind of creative habit. You got to add something that connects you to the right people. You got to add more and more things to help you get off the ground. And finally, you have some kind of creative liftoff. Something starts kind of working and you're getting somewhere. So you add something that stabilizes the the whole thing and, and you add something that thrusts you. I don't know. You tried... So many different things, but all of a sudden you're tired. So you add something that brings some emotional fuel. Just, you know, you start procrastinating, working in your sketchbook because you just got to feel something again. So you add that to the practice. Now you got to warm up your practice before you get practicing, before you actually get to the creative game. So you keep adding more and more and more. But at some point, there's just no time or energy to add anything else. Because it's taking everything that you have just to keep all those balls in the air, just to keep all the stuff that you're already doing going. Let's say your goal, your creative goal is to get to the moon, but you don't know anything about space flight. You'd, you'd say, all right, what's holding us back from reaching the goal? Well, first there's liftoff. And you're like, all right, add an engine and add the fuel for that. Let's go. Boom, lift off. And you're like, okay, but now we got to escape our Earth's orbit. You're like, all right, got just the thing, another specific engine and computer and a motherboard and some extra fuel to get through that. And then it's like, wait a second, hold on. There's this... What about just spanning the distance? And you're like, uh, another engine and more fuel. Add it. Let's go. Just one problem. Now that you've added another couple engines and more fuel for liftoff and escaping orbit and spanning that massive distance, you're going to actually need more fuel and another engine to carry all the extra weight of those extra engines and extra fuel. And you're like, all right, let's go. Add the fuel, get another big honking engine and let's reach that goal. Cool, just one other thing. With a bigger takeoff engine and more fuel for lift, we're gonna need a bigger engine for escaping orbit. And you're like, uh, okay, well, what if we add more fuel in another engine? Like, oh, that's fine, but then we're gonna need more fuel and an extra engine for going the distance. This could go on forever. You'll never reach the moon with adding more and more and more. At some point, you're going to realize you have to do what's called a multi-stage space flight. Meaning after liftoff, the, the liftoff engine falls off and you're not carrying that thing around anymore. Have you ever seen it? Like a, a, a rocket goes up in the air and at, at, as it reaches a certain point, it has to let go of some of the weight that got it off the ground. When you land on the moon, you have to let go of the safety and the power of your giant rocket and you got to get in a tiny little ship and leave that big boy behind. Now, I'm not sharing anything here that you don't already know. You've all seen the launches and how it moves in stages and it has to let go of significant portions of that rocket to get to the next level. 
and let that other part of the rocket fall away. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that the strategy of adding more and more and more is not going to get you to the moon or to your goal. At some point, there's just no time or energy to add anything else because it's taking everything you have just to keep up all the stuff that got you here. Eventually, adding more isn't taking you higher. It's now the thing that's holding you back to reach the heights you're after. You're going to have to see what got you off the ground yesterday is what's weighing you down today. And reaching your goal isn't going to be possible without letting some of that stuff fall away. Chapter two, improve through subtraction. Now, if the little rocket story has piqued your interest, you're convinced or you're at least curious that you don't need something more to go further, what's the next thing you got to do once you're like, all right, let's, let's, let's give this a whirl. The second thing, the second piece is moving forward when everything you add is holding you back. The second piece of it is to actively subtract. Now, many things have contributed to the inspiration of this episode and the the Human Rhythms series, but this episode in particular was inspired by a book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen, which is about doing less of what doesn't matter so that you can focus on what does matter. Uh, Cal Newport's work on deep work about creating space like uh, space without distractions uh, to work on the stuff that really matters. And then also 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, which we've talked about a few times in the show, 4,000 Weeks being the, the amount of time in the average life. And it's kind of an anti-productivity book, but I've been thinking a lot about uh, t- doing less and, and getting more from it. And when I came across Lighty Klotz's work on improvement by doing the counterintuitive thing, subtracting, when our impulse is to add, uh, it it just hit me like a ton of bricks because it's been the thing that has been on my mind most recently. Uh, is, is what can I do less of? What can I take away? How do you find what elements to subtract to actually improve things? And Lighty's work is all about, well, I'll just let him explain it. I think that we systematically neglect one of the most basic ways to, you know, as I put it in the book, make things better. But, you know, I framed that as make things better. In my mind, it's really creating, right? We've got, how do we create? Um, We're overlooking subtracting, we're neglecting subtracting. So this is like a very basic way to make things better. And the more I learned about it, the bigger deal it became. And, you know, you talk about me spending all this time on it and writing a book. I mean, I was not planning on writing a book at that time. I just, my daughter was coming and we had a three-year-old, but it was just like, hey, this is a big deal and this is something that could really help people. So again, you know, the, the core idea is that we're systematically neglecting one of the most basic ways to create. This work of improving something through subtraction was sparked by an experience that Lighty had while he was playing Lego with his kid. And he noticed, he observed that his first impulse on how to fix a problem or improve the thing they were building was always to add something. Lighty, could you just tell us that story? 
it's such a good story that it's been described as apocryphal. And then I had to look up what apocryphal means. And I'm like, hey, apocryphal means not true. This is like a true story. I was there. And so I was, I was playing Legos with my three-year-old at the time. He's almost eight now. And um, we, were, we had the Duplos and we were basically building a bridge. And the problem we had was the, the bridge wasn't level. And so I turned around behind me to grab a block to add to the shorter column of the bridge to make it level. But by the time I had turned around with the new block, he had removed a block from the longer column and had the level bridge and had, had moved on. And what's so cool about that story is it's, okay, here's an example of a situation, right? The, the unlevel bridge that we want to make better. And there's one way to make it better is to add a block to the shorter column. And the other way to make it better is to subtract a block from the longer column. Now, I know because it happened to me that I never would have thought of subtracting the block from the longer column if my son hadn't been there to remind me. And my, my mental instinct was to say, hey, let's add something. I would have added and moved on and not thought of it. And so I think I like the story because it has my son and it has Legos who doesn't like Legos. But I and it's and it's so such a simple example of a basic situation that you're trying to create from. But I also like it because it illustrates the one of the, the core cognitive processes that's happening there, which is that, you know, we, we have these heuristics, we have these ways that these shortcuts we use to design, to create, to make decisions. And this illustrated that one of those heuristics was thinking to add things first. Um, and it, of course, we've since backed that up with thousands of research participants and all these different studies, but those all that mapped really closely to what happened to me in that moment with the Legos. Lighty went on to do a, a whole mess of studies on the topic, and he found that when participants were asked to improve something in all sorts of scenarios, that their impulse was almost always to add, even in scenarios where it seemed obvious that the quickest, most efficient way to fix or improve something would be to just subtract, just to take away. One of my favorite examples of Lighty's uh, subtraction idea is when he highlights the invention of the K-brick. So this is the predecessor of those ubiquitous foundation blocks that you see. So those blocks that look like an eight, except for squared off, that are in the foundation of every building that's been built in the last probably 70 to 80 years. And the the K-brick was kind of the first patented invention of a block that wasn't solid. And so the inventor, Anna Keichline, just she's a remarkable person in and of herself. There needs to be a whole book about her, but she was... Um, the first female architect in Pennsylvania. She volunteered for World War One, uh, and when they tried to assign her to like a desk job, she said, she, can you give me something more dangerous, please? Um, so they think that she was probably like a spy in World War One. But she, she was also a serial inventor in addition to her architecture, and so she invented this this K-brick, and she, she hollowed out the brick to make it, you know, became easier to work with, right? The builders could move it around easier, could also shape it more easily and it was lighter obviously less expensive when you have once you have the manufacturing process down and then also had some just real benefits in terms of the end performance of a building so a hollow brick all of a sudden you've got these air voids which provide more insulation than than a solid material for example and so what's interesting about that is like obviously a better building block and but for 
all of history, you know, the Roman Colosseum, everything that was built before the, the K-brick came along, we used solid bricks. And so we overlooked this option in a very consequential way in the real world, not just in Legos. When I discovered Lighty's work and book subtract and all this research, I was desperate to ask him firsthand how he thought this mindset of, uh, you know, not running to our impulse to add, but to improve our creative practice through subtraction might apply to creators. And that's just what I asked him. And I was just fascinated by his response and insights on the topic. Uh, I was wondering if you had any notions through your research, if there were any ways that you have thought to apply this to a creative practice, either how can creative people, when they're approaching a piece of work, use subtraction to, to potentially make the work better or their, their process in general, like just doing less creative practice or their career, do you have any um, ideas on how to apply subtraction to those uh, facets of the creative life? I mean, the, the good news is that, uh, from our research at least, is that reminders help here, right? So when we reminded people that they could add or subtract, they this increased their rates of um, subtracting. And you're like, well, reminders help everything, don't they? But in the experiments, it didn't increase the rates of adding. So it was helpful for our research because it showed that the the adding reminder was redundant with what people were already thinking. The subtracting reminder brought new ideas to mind. Now, we can obviously, this, this podcast is a reminder. Um, my book is a reminder. I think the, the reminders that are really helpful are the ones that you can build into your process, right? So you've got these moments when you're creating, when you're making decisions about creating and how can you force yourself to just consider subtraction. You don't have to do it. Whether it's the right choice or not depends on you, right? Adding is great a, a lot of the time, but forcing yourself to consider it. And so an easy example of this just in my process is when I do my to-do list, I force myself to make an equal amount of stop doings, which makes sense, right? If you're taking on these new things, you better clear out some space. Um, and, you know, that, that might be something that's helpful for people. But the, the broader lesson is how do you um, how do you build in these reminders to your own process so that you're not overlooking subtraction in these really, really critical moments for you? I love that. I love the notion of, I think, any career creative or, or creative that has a habit of making codifies their process to a degree of, okay, mm -hmm. you've got the thumbnails, you've got the sketches, you've, you were all these different pieces. And it's interesting to add maybe a step to that, like where in that process would be useful to say, is there time to subtract? And obviously in the writing process, this is built in, in the publishing world because you have whole jobs like editors, which take a big yeah. chunk of words and say, let's get rid of a bunch. But applying that, in a systematic way to your process, any part, any little thing that reminds you like, there's a time in this creative work where we're gonna actually ask, could this get better by taking away? That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's really brilliant. And I think the, I mean, you're getting at the last, probably most important thing here is that we think subtracting is easy because the output looks easy. It looks minimalist, it looks stripped down, it looks like there wasn't a lot of effort when in fact, it's, it's more, right? We can think of it, but we have to give ourselves a reminder. We can do it, 
but it's more steps, right? I mean, so to to build the hollowed out block the first time, you've got to figure out, okay, here's the block, and now let's take out parts of the block. Um, I've got a lot of music examples, like uh, one I use in the book is Bruce Springsteen. He's my favorite musician, and he, one of his best albums, Darkness on the Edge of Town, he really stripped things down. And he, he was going for a stripped down aesthetic, but he also had a kind of hiatus just some legal stuff that was going on a hiatus from releasing new music that forced him to just like sit there with this work and continue to make it better. And he kept making it better by taking away. And then I've learned since then, people are like, well, have you heard Johnny Cash's American recordings, which are, are great. And it's uh, like, it's basically Johnny Cash covering like nine inch nails, for example, but he just takes out all of the instrumentals and it's really powerful in a different way. Or like Prince took out the baseline from When Doves Cry. I didn't know that until recently. But in all of those cases, the creator made the stuff and then they did extra work to get rid of it. And I think it's so easy to kind of not just not think of it, but even when you do think of it, it's like, hey, we, we've got this thing that's good enough. Let's get it out there and, and stop. And uh, when you look at some of these really great examples, it's, you know, they've, of subtracting, they've actually done more work to create the thing that maybe looks like less effort went into it. Okay, with all of that research and mindset in mind, Today, I am encouraging you to explore making a let it go goal. Let it go! So yeah, let's make a let it go goal. <laughs> Maybe it could just be let it go. Essentially, I'm suggesting that you reach your goal, not by adding something first, but by first subtracting, getting leaner so that you can go further faster so in the book slash Matt Damon movie, Matt Damon. The Martian, a guy gets stranded on Mars and he's, he's left with not tons of resources and he's constantly having to make the most of the time and energy and resources that he has at his disposal. And so he's always taking the rovers and the shuttles and just completely gutting them of every single piece that they don't need that he doesn't need to get where he's trying to go and uh and just scrap it all the way down to the bare minimum of what he needs this process is called streamlining and it's just one of the ways you can subtract to become more agile and go further by doing less So here are a few other, there's three ways that you can actually systematically do less to achieve more of what you're going for. Here's three of them. So yes, the number one, the first one I'm going to suggest is streamline, streamline your practice. Ask yourself what creative habits have started to have diminishing returns. Maybe every time you post new work to this particular platform, the engagement has just tanked since you used to do it 10 years ago and maybe you need to cut that out or dramatically cut the amount of time that you're spending posting stuff into that direction. Cut that out. It's costing you time and mental energy. That's something that I try to actively do. Like 
is this actually contributing to anything or is it just my little mind saying, you know, you never know anything that you're doing because you never know is probably something you know you shouldn't be doing. Number two is delegation. So delegation always seemed insane to me as a creator. It's not like the creative business just has gobs of cash flow for any particular creator. And so for years, I could not imagine ever hiring anyone for anything. And I think part of that was because I always kind of imagined like, I can't, you know, pay someone's salary, but that's not how it works for someone in your shoes. Most likely you have to realize that not only do you not need to hire someone even part-time, but that experts that you delegate things to can do something faster and often therefore cheaper than you can do it yourself. And so it starts to make sense to, to pay someone to edit your podcast or help you in a pinch with art production, uh, work for a project. It can just totally streamline things and, and make things a lot leaner and more agile if you start delegating. Even if it's just like, hey, I've got five hours of work to delegate. Like having a few people in your circle that you know can do elements of your practice or help take something off your plate, it can change everything. Number three, automation. So even if you don't feel like you can streamline or you, or you don't feel like you can delegate anything, what can you automate? Now, there's the typical way, you know, things like software, et cetera, like what things are you doing in your process that are unnecessary because they could be automated by, you know, scheduling software. Like when I was scheduling interviews on my own, it was such a pain, tons of correspondence, uh, very difficult to lock anything down until I started using something like Calendly where people can just select when they're available. And it just took out tons of effort in that process. My newsletter that updates people when a new episode drops used to be another thing on my to-do list every time we did a new episode until I thought maybe I can just spend a little extra time now automating that so that every new episode automatically triggers that email. And I never thought about it ever again. So the single best decision I ever made in my illustration practice was to automate aspects of my creative process. You know, what are the things that when you do them in your process, get the best results? Quit just stumbling into those. Like make a list of these are the best practices. This is how I create a piece and eliminate all the other decisions. For me, using a light box every single time I do a sketch changed everything because it meant before I ever moved to color, I got the work right. That meant I spent more time at the sketch phase, but I subtracted tons of time from the iterative process of starting and restarting and going back to square one and trying a billion options. I just realized like the light box always is, improves my process. I'm going to subtract the time it takes to, you know, stumble in the dark through my process and just automate the entire creative process. What are the things that I do every single time I make something, make a little list. So the same goes for recording this show. I, I spend a ton of time exhaustively planning and writing before I go record because I used to make a few bullet points, go record, realize like, oh, this isn't an episode, go back to the drawing board. Like it is so much more efficient to automate that process. Jim Collins, legendary business author, is constantly talking about the automation of decisions. He says you shouldn't make thousands of choices 
when it can just be one choice. Like we get three to five guest submissions every day for the podcast. And eventually we just decided like we can't spend time spending hundreds of decisions of a year on whether we should have these people on our show. Like we don't take hardly any of them anyway, because that's just not how our show is built. So let's, we've got to just stop reviewing them so seriously. And we made one decision rather than hundreds and said, that's just not how we're going to really source our guests. doesn't mean there aren't exceptions to the rule, but we're not going to spend resources making that decision. We made one decision instead of making hundreds. And we all know those creators or entrepreneurs that do this with clothing. Like instead of making thousands of daily decisions on what to wear each day, they just wear the same thing. And that might not appeal to you. Uh, Not tons of people want to do that, but what steps in your creative process get you the best results? Why do you only randomly include them in your creative process when you happen to think of it or, or reach for that uh, aspect, reach for that light box or, or reach for that utensil, creative tool? Like list the best practices that you get you the best results and subtract all those micro decisions so that you have more bandwidth to work on the things, the, the real creative problems that you're trying to solve in that particular piece. Chapter three, the creative call to adventure. Every single episode, we try to give you something that you can do immediately after listening to put some of these ideas to practice. And I am so pumped about this one because it's one I've been doing recently. Uh, and I did it with my daughter as well for, her, uh, and it really had a, a great effect on her too. It, I'm calling it the Zygonic Cash Clearing. So in episode three, 379, we talked about how choosing to do creative work when you had enough time to actually accomplish something really helps you keep from starting a project that opens a tab in your brain that's distracting and and, and wears your mental health down and, and hurts your ability to do anything else. Like I try not to do any creative work if I don't have enough time to achieve at least uh, a section of the creative process. You know, I don't want to start sketching unless I think I have enough time. I have about the amount of time it takes me to get anywhere with that process. Because if you don't, you open this loop up in your brain and in that loop can seep in all kinds of distracting thoughts. Now we talked about that in 379 and in the research of this episode, I read that that's actually called the Zygonic Effect. And it's this notion, they did this study where they found that servers and and wait staff, they have this ability to remember to the cent how much an open tab is, a check or bill that hasn't been paid. They have a very clear memory of how much money that is. But as soon as that bill is paid, they can't remember exactly how much it was. And it was this idea that your brain is like a browser that has all these open tabs of the things that are incomplete. 
And all of that is bogging down the hard drive of your mind. And you've got to clear the cache uh, to empty out your brain so that it can run on peak performance. And it's a type of subtraction. And so here's how I recommend doing this. I did this recently. Part of this idea came from my wife, Sophie, when I was panicking because I had all these deadlines and I made a brain dump and she added some ideas that I'll mention in a, in a minute. So here's what I want you to do. Get out a piece of paper. I folded mine in half, yeah, vertically, and did a line down the middle, put brain dump at the top, and I just started listing on the left and then moved to the right column and then did the same on the back, and I just brain dumped every single thing that I thought that I needed to do. Every random idea that I thought, like, maybe I should make hats. Maybe I should make socks. Maybe I should change the newsletter to a different provider. Like, every single thing that has crossed your brain that you thought, I need to do that, put it in here. Long-term projects, short-term projects, you know, admin, emails that are lingering in your mind. Just go through, spend 10 minutes writing down every single one that you can think of and being as exhaustive as possible. You might need to get another sheet of paper. So that's step one, brain dump. Then 80-20 your list. Next thing you got to do, instead of thinking, what of these things do I not need to do? It's really hard to know that. I found it's much easier to approach it with the 80-20 kind of mentality and we've talked about this on the show a lot. You've probably heard it somewhere on TikTok or on the internet. 80-20 is just this idea that 80% of your results come from 20% of your effort. That's just a typical truth. And so instead of trying to see like, what shouldn't you do? Just go through your list and highlight what are the things that I should do? What are the things that contribute to actions that I know actually move the needle forward? And that was instantly obvious to me. Like these are the things that in the past have typically really paid off in terms of effort to result. And just highlight those things. That might give you an idea of the 80% that you could delete or at least some percent that you could instantly throw in the dumpster and cross off and say, you know what, I'm just not gonna do those things because they're, they're not really my things. They're just kind of distractions. Once you've done all that, the last step, this one came from Sophie. What I want you to do is go through each task and just write down how long you think this task is going to take you. Some of them might be five minutes, 10 minutes, some of them 20 minutes, some of them 60 hours, like the, everything in between. Go in and write all of those down. And then I want you to make a list of all of them that take 20 minutes or under 10 minutes and I want you to just do as many of those five-minute, 10-minute tasks as possible in one huge chunk because it will equal closing an enormous amount of tabs in your brain. It will subtract them from your working hard drive memory and it will free up. It'll be that shuttle that is falling to the ground. You will feel so much lighter when you're releasing that huge, heavy, metaphorical, unneeded, heavy fuel tanks and unused engines, as they fall to the ground, you're going to feel free to blast off into the next stratosphere of your creative practice. It's time to... <laughs>
everybody. Don't forget to go check out Lighty Klotz's book, Subtract, or go find him where I discovered him on the episode of Hidden Brain, the podcast called Less. We will have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, excellent episode and I think illustrates this idea super well. Glad that I stumbled upon Lighty's work and really appreciate your time. Thanks for applying all this to our creative practices. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the Band Y for our jingle and theme music. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pinning Beautiful for editing this show. Just taking us to the next level, taking us to the moon uh, by just making this show sound so good. Massive thanks to Sophie Miller and Katie Chandler and Ryan Appleton on podcast and content assistance. And thanks to everybody for listening each and every week. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.